Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. Chances are when you walked through the doors this morning that there was somebody holding the door open for you. Was that the case for you this morning? You walked through an open door? Well, that happens literally every Sunday, physically and, and, and uh, actually, but in a more uh, non-literal sense, more figurative sense, this is what we do every week. What our worship team does on a stage as they lead us in worship is simply to hold the door open for us so that we can have an experience and encounter with the risen Jesus. What, what my goal is to do every Sunday, not to impress you, not to just put a lot of information in your head, but to hold the door open for you through God's word, that you can have an encounter with Jesus and be transformed through it. We're going to look today at a man who held the door open for someone else, and his holding the door open changed the course of history. If you've got a Bible, go with me to Acts chapter 9. We're going to look at uh, 18 verses here, and we're going to start at verse 1. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Let me read. We do not have this on the, on the screens. I told the guys not to do that, so just follow along with me as I read or in the, the scripture that you have open. Let me read Acts 9, verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as Saul went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. And Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Let me pause there. This is not going to be a message about a man named Saul who became Paul, but I could easily spend the next hour talking about him. Uh, what I want to highlight in, in just these verses is a couple things. One, notice the lengths to which God goes to get Saul's attention. I mean, there's the light from heaven, there's the, the thunderous voice. God was not willing for Saul to continue to be his enemy. He, he reached from heaven and said, Saul, Saul, he got his attention. And there is a remarkable interaction that takes place between God and Saul in the verses. And I want to spend some time there, but before I do, what you need to know about Saul is this, that he is a Pharisee, that means he's a religious leader. He's part of the very group of people that engineered the crucifixion of Jesus. We don't know if he was uh, with that specific group, but that was his tribe. Those were his people. And, and Saul was educated under a man named Gamaliel. He was a rising star in Judaism. And Saul believed at this time that followers of Jesus, who they called followers of the way, were a dangerous anti-Jewish cult. That's what he believed that they were. And this led Saul to become the number one persecutor of the Christians in the first century. In fact, Saul was present at the very first execution of a, a Christian. Did you know that? Stephen, in Acts chapter 6, it says that Stephen was stoned for his testimony in Jesus, and it says that Saul was there giving approval to his death. 
Later on in the book of Acts, Saul would recount this, now Paul, and he would say that he cast his vote for Stephen's execution. So so this is not like a peripheral character to the story of Judaism and Christianity in the first century. Saul has inserted himself as a main character, and he's taken his position very clearly. He is anti-Jesus, he is anti-church, and he's on his way now to Damascus to crush the move of God there. And this is the voice he hears, verse 4. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's interesting to me that what Jesus does when he shows up to Saul is he asks him a penetrating question. Now God could have, you know, just like eviscerated Saul in that moment, right? Just like cause him to spontaneously combust, right? That's what we want to see happen to our enemies sometimes if we're honest. But it's not what Jesus does. He could have come with a list of charges and accusations against Saul. He doesn't mention any of it. All he does is ask this question, why are you persecuting me? I believe we could all benefit from occasionally stopping and asking the question, why? Why am I putting in such long hours at work to the neglect of my family? Why do I find myself a slave to my iPhone, my inbox, my social media? Why do I feel constant anxiety and restlessness and the feeling that I'm, I'm somehow not keeping up with other people? Why? Why am I so quick to lash out at my children or unable to slow down long enough to listen to their stories? Why? Simon Sinek in his book, Start With Why, said this, success comes when we wake up every day in that never-ending pursuit of why we do what we do. When we ask ourselves why. But, but here's the problem. By, by the measure of Simon Sinek, Saul is actually successful because Saul knows exactly why he's doing what he's doing. Saul does wake up every day and go, I know why I'm doing what I'm doing. And I think if Saul were to answer the question, he'd say, here's why I'm persecuting the church. It's because I believe that God is one and they don't. I believe uh, that, that the law is good. I'm zealous for the law and the customs of the Abrahamic covenant. That, that is why I'm persecuting these Christians. And, and because these Christians are blaspheming God's name and profaning God's truth, that is my why. Jesus invites Saul to recognize that his why is not missing, but it is misplaced. He's accomplishing exactly what he set out to accomplish. By the way, you can do that. Climb the ladder of success all the way to the top and realize it's leaning against the wrong wall. And this is what Saul is doing in the moment. And the result is that the Lord shows up and he says, you're persecuting me. Well, rather than answering the question, Saul's actually going to respond with a question of his own. The the voice says, why are you persecuting me? And look at verse 5. Saul's answer is, who are you, Lord? Now, this is remarkable. Can we pause here for just a moment? Because if anybody knew God, it was Saul. I, I mean, if anybody, Saul could have written the Wikipedia page for God. Like, th- that he was the guy. Like, if, if somebody came to Jerusalem and said, hey, I want to learn more about Yahweh God. Like, where, where should I go? Well, they're going to send him to the church of Saul. Saul's the guy. He knows God. In fact, by his own admission, This was true. Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. Years later, Saul, who had become Paul, would say this. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. 
Go ahead, next slide. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Saul's going, my resume was good. Man, when it came to being a good Jewish religious leader, I had it all. I, I, I was the guy. There is a difference between religion and relationship. Saul knows everything there is to know about God and God shows up face to face and Saul can only muster the feeble admission, I don't know who you are. Did you know religion is a dead end? Did you know that simply acquiring facts about God, even the right facts, just simply showing up at church and going through rituals, just simply singing songs but not giving our attention truly to God, did you know that is a dead end? There is a difference between knowing about and knowing. This is the difference that Paul would illustrate himself in Philippians 3. He would continue those very verses we just read, and this is what he would say in verse 7. This is the pivot point for Paul. He says, But whatever gain I had then, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, and that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow, by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Did you see there how much emphasis Paul would put on knowing Jesus? He says, guys, I knew everything there was to know about God, but I did not know God through the person of Jesus. And Saul is about to make that subtle yet all-important shift here in Acts 9, which begins with a revelation. By the way, it always does. Saul wasn't looking for Jesus. You realize that, right? Jesus was looking for him. And if you know Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a believer in Christ, it's because God went looking for you. And like Saul, he called you by name. Look again at verse 5. Who are you, Lord? He says this, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Let me draw out a couple of insights here. Number one, Jesus identifies with the church as if it is himself. Did you catch that? Saul was not persecuting Jesus, at least not directly. In the same way that the faithful believers of Matthew 25 were not feeding Jesus or clothing Jesus or visiting Jesus, and yet this is what it says, Matthew 25, beginning at verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you as you did it, to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to who? To me. Jesus identifies with his people as if it is himself. 
group called Open Doors that follows uh, the persecuted church around the world and, and, and keeps statistics and records on it. They reported that in 2021, uh, or, or rather in 2021, they reported that last year, 2020, saw a 60% increase in 2020 of Christians killed for their faith. 60% increase over 2019. 4,761 people that we know of died last year because they said, I believe in Jesus. I follow him. To to put that in perspective, the number of uh, Americans killed in 9-11 and the 20 years of war in Afghanistan combined is 4,829. Almost the same number. And this happened last year. Christians who said, I'm not backing down. I'm not denying my Lord. I am a follower of Jesus. And they died because of that. And Jesus would say, that little girl snatched from her school, taken off, that was me. That, that aging pastor who was wrestled from his pulpit and dragged to the streets and executed, that was me. Jesus identifies with the persecuted church. He identifies with us. Jesus here is going to invite Saul to understand that the persecution experienced by Jesus' followers is experienced directly by Jesus himself. By the way, this will eventually be a source of great comfort to Paul because pretty soon the tables are going to turn, right? And he's going to get a taste for what persecution feels like on the other side. And in that moment, I think Paul's going, I remember Jesus said when they persecute me, it's as if they're persecuting him. Let me make another observation. Not only does he identify with the church, but Jesus speaks to Saul in the Hebrew language. You're going, Chris, how do you know that? Can I tell you that I've actually preached this message and said, I don't know if, if Jesus spoke in Hebrew, but if he did, I want to make a really cool point. And you're going to hear that in just a second. But then as I was doing study this week, I came across Acts 26, 14. Paul is going to give his testimony before the king. And this is what he says, 26, 14. He says, when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, why in the world does it matter to a Roman king that this was said in the Hebrew language? Well, the answer is it doesn't, but it matters to you and I, and here's why. To say the word I am in Hebrew would sound like this, Yahweh. Remember when, when, when the burning bush is going on and, and Moses takes off his shoes and he's standing there and, 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 he say, and, and, the, and God says, hey, go to Pharaoh, tell him to let my people go from Egypt. And Moses says, who do I tell them sent me? There's all these gods in Egypt. And, and the voice says, tell them I am, Yahweh. That name became the name that the Jewish people understood God by. In fact, it was so sacred they would not even write it. It was, it was, it was revered and esteemed. I am Yahweh. Saul believed that this Yahweh was the one that he served. It's the one he devoted his life to. And then there's this other guy, Yeshua, Jesus, who was a heretic and a blasphemer, and, and he's going he's gonna to push Yahweh, or, or rather Yeshua, off the scene and the followers of Yeshua because he believes in Yahweh. And all of a sudden, to the question of who are you, Lord, Saul hears this, Yahweh, Yeshua. And everything in Saul's life was turned upside down in that moment. The one he believed was, persecute, was persecuting and going against God, he discovered was God. 
Everything changed at that moment, and, and Saul would never get over it. He would become the Apostle Paul. He would travel all over, over the world, but he would never forget the moment he heard Yahweh Yeshua. One example, 1 Timothy 1, 15, 17. We know this was the very end of Paul's life. He's writing to a young pastor. He says, Timothy, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Saul goes, man, I had no right to be saved. I had no right to receive mercy. I was, I was persecuting the very Yahweh that I thought I was serving. And yet, God wanted to demonstrate that if he could save me, he could save anyone. Don't ever get too far from the place that you first met Jesus. Don't ever forget the moment that he saved you. You were no more deserving than Saul himself. We were saved by the mercy of God. All right, with that introduction out of the way, I'm going to preach my sermon this morning. <laughs> You're going, he said he wasn't going to preach on Paul, and that's all we've talked about. So we're going to pivot. I promise the next section is going to be shorter, but this is actually the section that, 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 that we need to get to because... We're in the Summer of Impact series, and I told you, these are stories of people who are not like the A players in Scripture. And I got to tell you, Paul was an A player in Scripture. So, so what happened next is where we're going to turn our attention to, verses 10 to 19. Uh, before I get there, let me say this. As incredible as Saul's conversion experience is, we, we, we talk about this in vernacular, right? They had a Damascus Road experience, right? That person that was in prison or they were a drug, but they had a Damascus Road experience. It's, it's big, it's got blinding lights, and there's all these incredible things going on. But despite all of that, at this point in the book of Acts, at this point in chapter 9, Saul has two massive obstacles in his way. First of all, he's blind. The, the light that shone from heaven was so bright that for three days Saul cannot see anything. He's literally been blinded by the light. Not only that, but he is both feared and probably hated by Christians everywhere. So how in the world is Saul going to become the Apostle Paul and going to have an international, world-changing, history-making ministry? He's going to need somebody who will hold the door open for him. Look at verse 10, Acts chapter 9, verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. How much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Verse 17, So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. And then he rose, he was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. 
Remember the question that Jesus asked Saul on the road. We've said it a few times this morning. He asked this, the, the question, who are you, Lord? Well, interestingly enough, and in the divine providence of God, as an answer to that question, God would send him to a man, Ananias, whose name means God is gracious. Now think about Saul's background in history. God, God is the law. God is wrath. God is judgment. If you don't subscribe to these commands and these rituals of the customs of Israel, he says, who are you, Lord? He says, go and find Ananias. God is gracious. The first person that this legalistic persecutor turned apostle would encounter is a man who's going to give him a new vision of what God is like. And it's a vision of grace. He will hold the door open for him. My guess this morning is that you had somebody hold the door open for you at one point. Maybe it was somebody in a Sunday school class in some small little church in rural wherever, and that was the person that showed you the way to Jesus. Maybe that was a parent, a grandparent, a family member who discipled you or mentored you or, or held the door open for opportunities for you. But we've all had that. And perhaps God is calling us to hold the door open also for someone else. So we're going to do this in just about 10 minutes. So I'm going to give you three keys to opening the door and holding it open for someone else. First is this, you've got to be able to hear. You have to be able to to hear. No, notice how ordinary this section, uh, this section of verses begins. Verse 9, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Pretty plain, right? No, no blinding lights, no voices from heaven, just simply there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. Saul is introduced with the words of there were threats and murder and blinding light. When we get introduced to Ananias, it's simply this, a disciple at Damascus. I think this is because Saul is far from God. He needs something powerful and strong and something that he can't, he, and that, that there could be nothing but God. But all Ananias needs is his name to be called and he's able to hear it. What if the greatest stories that were written in history and in our place on the planet began with the words, now there was a disciple in Winter Garden. There was a disciple in Windermere, in Ocoee, in Claremont, in Oakland, what if we weren't center stage? What if we weren't the A player? What if we were used as simply a disciple in a place who had the ability to hear and open the door for the person who would change the world? Maybe that's a child you're raising. Maybe that's a student that you're pouring into. Maybe that's an employee or a coworker. But are you able to hear when God says, I have an assignment for you? See, I believe the greatest threat to the gospel in 21st century America is not progressivism nor Trumpism, nor secularism, nor atheism. The greatest danger for the American church, please hear me clearly, the greatest danger for the American church is that we are losing the ability to hear from Jesus. May it not be said of us what it was said in Colossians chapter 2, verse 19. Paul says about these people, they have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body grows as God causes it to grow. Friends, we are logged in, tuned in, dialed in to every device, every platform, every station. We must not lose the ability to hear from our Lord Jesus. Fortunately, Ananias had not. And when God needed a disciple at Damascus, there was one who was available. Do you remember how Saul responded? 
Jesus shows up, he says, Saul, calls him by name, and, and Saul says, who are you, Lord? How different when Jesus shows up to Ananias. See how Ananias responds? Not who are you, Lord, but here I am, Lord. That is the difference from someone who is far from God and someone who is walking closely with God. Here I am, Lord. In the same way that Abraham in Genesis chapter two responded, here I am. Moses uh, in Exodus chapter three, shows, God shows up at the burning bush, here I am, Lord. Samuel is a young boy in the temple, hears his name called and responds, here I am, Lord. And Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter six, verse eight, who will I send and who will go for me? And Isaiah said, here I am, Lord. This statement in the Abrahamic covenant and carried into the New Testament was always indication of the second thing that we need, the second key. It is a readiness to serve. This was more than just a like, check, I'm here. When people in scripture said, here I am, Lord, they were saying, I'm all in. I am ready to serve. Whatever you have for me, God, I'm going to go. And this is exactly what Ananias does. Ananias was a man who prayed with his shoes on. He understood that until a believer is ready to go from God's presence in serving, we're not ready to go into God's presence in prayer. More often than not, I have found that the answers to the prayers that I've prayed was God saying, yes, I will do that. Now go and do it. God wants to empower his people to be the answer often to the prayers that we pray. Now, this does not mean that Ananias was robotic or somehow super spiritual. Notice what he does. He's like, hey, time out. I'm ready to serve, but just so you know, Lord, I've heard some things about Saul, right? Like, I've heard that he's a persecutor of the church. In fact, this is the reason he's come to Damascus. He has come looking for people like Ananias and not to do them good. So, so, so Ananias is honest in his response, but his fear is not going to keep him from doing what God calls him to do. It's important that we understand Ananias did not go because he believed in Saul. He went because he believed the word of God. If it was all just a man, you know, Saul seems like a good guy. No, no, no. Saul didn't seem like a good guy. The only reason Ananias would go is because Jesus said, go. True service is not charity or simply meeting needs of people. It is motivated by obedience to God and a readiness to serve him whatever the cost you do understand that there was a possibility and if Jesus had not spoken, a high likelihood that the moment Ananias shows up to the house of Saul, he is arrested and taken back to Jerusalem to be executed. This is what Ananias is stepping into. Number three, he's willing to risk. He's willing to risk. And not only does he risk, but notice in verse 17, it says that Ananias laying his hands on him said, brother Saul, now, Ananias does two things in this interaction with Saul that I'm pretty sure I would not have done. Okay, if I'm just being honest, I don't think I would have done. Number one, I don't think I would have laid my hands on him. Like, I probably, if I had gotten in the door, would have stayed against the wall and said from afar, Saul, <laughs> receive your sight. If I go next to him, if I get close enough to touch him, then I'm putting myself in greater danger. I don't know that I would have done it, but Ananias does. Not only does he lay his hands on him, but he says the word, you saw it, brother Saul. You need to understand that at this point in the story, this is not brother Saul, this is enemy Saul. 
This is a man who has blood on his hands. Why in the world would Ananias say, brother? Ananias is willing to risk being killed. He's willing to risk being wrong, which for some of you is worse than being killed. (laughs) He's willing to risk. And there's one Christian who's willing to do it, to take the risk that maybe, just maybe, the gospel of Jesus is powerful enough to save even somebody like Saul. Years later, the Apostle Paul would say, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. He saw that first in the life and the actions of Ananias. In fact, again, one of the places where Paul tells his testimony later on in the book of Acts, chapter 22, he includes the fact that Ananias calls him brother. It's stuck in his head. I can just imagine Saul, blinded, weak, he hasn't eaten for three days, he's been fasting, and there's some commotion at the door, and they say, hey, there's a man here to see you, okay, who is it? It's Ananias. Well, Saul had received in a vision a man named Ananias, so he says, send him in. So they bring Ananias in, and he feels the hands of what should have been an enemy rest on his shoulders, and he hears the voice of one he had persecuted, call him brother. Saul never got over that fact. Saul would go on to proclaim the gospel and make converts in over 40 cities, major cities throughout the Roman Empire. Saul, as Paul, would write 13 of the 27 books of our New Testament. Paul would become the single greatest influencer on Christian belief and practice outside of Jesus, and eventually he would give his life as a martyr testifying to the name of Jesus to his death. But you need to know that none of this would have happened without a man named Ananias who was willing to hold the door open. A man who was able to hear and ready to serve and willing to take the risk. I don't know if you ever play this game, but sometimes I'll think about when I get to heaven, you know, who am I going to look for? Do you ever do that? If you've ever lost a, a close family member or a friend, you've had this thought and I I chuckle a little bit because I I think when we get there, we're going to make a beeline for Jesus first. I I think anything else is going to come second to that. I think we're going to fall into the arms of Jesus. But in my case, I just imagine Jesus giving me a really long hug, and I'm probably crying because I only cry when I'm happy. I don't cry when I'm sad. I don't know why, but I'm just weeping right in the arms of Jesus. And I imagine Jesus saying, hey, Chris, there's somebody that has been waiting a long time to see you. And he takes me to see my mom for the first time in decades. And I'm weeping again now because I am sad and happy and rejoicing. And, and then I think I'd look for Moses or David or maybe even the Apostle Paul himself. I wonder when the Apostle Paul showed up on the shores of heaven after giving his life for the name of Jesus, I wonder who he looked for. And I wonder if it might have been a man named Ananias. A man who only shows up in Acts chapter 9. He's not a part of the story anymore, but he showed up at the right time exactly when Paul needed him to hold the door open for him. I want to close with two questions. Two questions. Number one is this. Who is somebody who held the door open for you that you can express gratitude to this week? Think back in your spiritual journey, your career, your whatever it might be. Who's somebody that held the door open for you? Just maybe send them a text or, or shoot them a phone call and say, hey, thank you for doing that. Thank you for being an Ananias in my life. One of the first people to do that for me was a guy named Scott. He was a Youth for Christ director in Sebring, Florida, in Highlands County. And at 15, 16 years old, he said, Chris, 
I want you to speak to the middle school students. I want you to share your testimony. I want you to bring the word. And I'm like, well, what I, what, how do you preach? How do I do this? And 25 years later, God is continuing to give me opportunity because a man named Scott opened the door for me. Another couple that opened the door for me and Nikki is right here in our midst, William and Shiloh, who came to me six months ago, said, Chris, we see the favor of God in your life. We see the ministry he's given you. And there's some open doors for us that we need to pursue, but we want to open a door for you. We got people that we love, that we've been shepherding for eight years, and they need a pastor. And we're going to build, they said, William and Shiloh, we're going to build off of the relationships we've already established. We're going to lend you our credibility, our trust that we've built with these folks to make the handoff so that the church can be stronger and better. They opened the door for me. So who opened the door for you? And who is someone that you have the opportunity to hold the door open for? Maybe that's a child or a teenager, an employee, a coworker. Maybe it's a neighbor. But likely that there is somebody in your life that God's saying, hey, not Ananias, but Laura, Socrates, Sherry. It's time to hold the door open for someone else to walk into the great things God has for them. Would you pray with me? Father, I'm humbled this morning by the fact that my story doesn't happen without the stories of many that went before. And God, those coming after us, their stories don't happen without us doing our part, holding the doors open. God, it may be that there's nobody in this room that ever becomes world famous, nobody that ever becomes a, a, a world changer, but maybe those are coming after us, behind us. Maybe it's the next generation. Maybe it's that first-time guest who showed up today and had never been in the walls of this church before. God, we don't seek praise. We don't seek glory. That all belongs to you. But we do desire to play our part. Would you help us to hold the door for someone to walk into the things you have for them? And God, it would be wrong for me not to acknowledge that the work that you did on the cross through Jesus was exactly that. The curtain was torn from top to bottom because you were opening the door of salvation, the door to heaven, and God, we gratefully walked through. We couldn't have done that without you, Jesus. We thank you for it. It's the reason we praise. It's the reason we worship. It's the reason we devote our attention, our time, our resources. God, would you have all of us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service time, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.